The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. Simo mm-hmm. and uh, you get just to go right out of the gate yeah right out of the gate name uh-huh. after name after yourself yeah so yeah now gear wise with Don Kelly mm-hmm. you know you you were playing tellies and and you know different kinds of amps mm-hmm. and you know I, I went out and, and saw you play a couple times and you know you started out playing some boutique amps and then in and the you, very beginning yeah, yeah and you had you know a, a decent sized you know pedal board and like everybody, then, yeah. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you were playing, you know, a Tele, you know, it was an RS Guitar Works, you know, kind of white, you know, Steve Cropper, Bloomfield-looking Tele uh, into a Blackface Deluxe Reverb. Yeah. And there was a coily chord, and there was nothing else. Yeah, still to this day. Yeah. So yeah. so you, you kind of made the switch to that. Yeah. And then, But then when you went to Simo, all of a sudden you went to Humbucker Guitars, Mm-hmm. And you started playing the Marshall thing. Yeah. So uh, you know what what uh, you know what made you switch to you know to that sound for your own band? Well, really, it's probably just because I wanted to do something different. You know, I was, it yeah. was it was it had more to do with you know the fact that it was a trio that, especially in the beginning, it's grown to be less and less over time. And especially like right at this moment, it's probably the least derivative that it's ever been, um, because that's what happens when you're a band and you tour like we've toured and all that. But in the beginning, it was like, okay, we're a trio. We obviously are drawing influence from, you know, that kind of '60s and '70s, you know, somewhat improvisational, mm-hmm. you know, rock music. And so I'd always wanted to do it. You know, I'd always been a fan. I'd always wanted to do it. And this guitar. You know, I got right around that time, you know, I had from my session days, you know, I had tons of guitars, you know, Um, and um, so I had some Les Pauls and stuff like that. Um, But then, you know, the acquisition of my 62-335 here, this is what got me into the vintage world that has just run amok ever since now. Yeah. And so it was like I had this in the very beginning uh, or at once the band had been around for a minute and like in the beginning of of the group um it was uh some boutique marshall kind of stuff and then i finally like delved deep into the vintage marshall thing and i loved it and i and it was great and it was fun but really it was just because it seemed to suit what it is that we were doing i'd always wanted to do it you know i ended up getting a you know a really great guitar you know, and so it 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 just kind of was a natural 
a natural evolution as it were, you know, and, and the pedal it, going back to the Don Kelly thing, you know, I did, you know, I started like everybody starts kind of in the modern age, you know, and, you know, like with the pedal board and all that kind of stuff, which I don't have, I don't necessarily have anything against. I mean, I think my whole thing with, with equipment is that you, it's really important to find things that work for you and it can be anything. It can be, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, the guitar, obviously you're playing or the amplifier that you're playing. If stuff down there works, you know, stuff on the floor, you know, but it has to be that it makes sense to you and inspires you, you know, because most of the time the desire, and I'm just, you and I both are falling prey to this. A lot of time it has to do with you like what someone else does with something. And then you think, oh, if I get that, I'll be able to do it too, which is not true at all. Yeah. It's not ex- it, not at all the case. It's it's a, it's a lie. Um, but you know the thing is, is that it's the exploration of equipment to find something that inspires you. And so for me, the whittling away of effects had more to do with me in that trans beginning of the transition period where I was still I was doing it was at the height of me doing sessions where I was doing many a week, you know, there were some weeks where it would be every day and then going to Roberts at night, you know, or whatever. Um, and I was looking for inspiration. I was hungry for connection with love of music and inspiration, you know? And so it kind of came out of that in that I was, by that point, I'd already kind of gotten real simple where it was like maybe a delay or, you know, maybe a overdrive or I got really into fuzzes, you know, old and, and yeah. new, started with new fuzzes. And then I got into old fuzzes from the sixties and stuff. And, um, and then finally there was one night at Roberts, um, where I just went, you know, I'm just going to go all night like this and see what happens. And it was like the best sound I'd ever had. Like I, my left hand, especially was not used to not having something holding it up a little bit compression wise, you know? Yeah. So it was harder, but the sound was like, I'd close my eyes on there and I'd be like, well, this is the sound I want, you know? So, so what was, what was the difference between going through the board and going straight to the amp? I mean, what, what was it that was making the tone? Did you feel like made your tone better? I don't know. It just sounded better. It just sounded better. Like, you know, cause, cause I, uh, it, first of all, I ended up turning the amp up louder than I would because now I didn't have any boosters or something that kind of affect how loud it is. Right. Right. So like, you know, I ended up putting it on like five or six generally would be my normal volume down there. And, um, and then I realized, you know, that, Oh, well, you know, if I want it to break up, if I want, like, if I was going to play slide or something, which I was starting to, I was starting to finally play slide right around the, right around this time too. I'd be like, oh, well, you know, I realized from being the, from it being on a chair right in my ear all night, I was like, oh, well, you know, once I get to about five or six, it doesn't really get louder. It just gets more, it gets more drive. Right. So if I wanted more drive, I'd just go and turn it up and turn it up to 10 or turn it up to eight yeah. or something. And then if it was, you know, normal chicken picking wire, I'd turn it back down. You know, if I wanted more reverb or less, I would just do it. You know, if I picked up, uh, in those days of playing with Don, I would usually bring a, fen- uh, a, a Gibson of some kind, 
um, and play it on a few songs. And, you know, on those I would turn the treble up a little bit, you know. So it just became, yeah, it just it just went, wow, you know, which trans transferring into the Marshall thing, I was ready for it because it's like with those, you know, it's it's all right here. It's you you use your knobs, you know. Yeah. You you turn those those amplifiers sound best when you turn them all the way up and then you just use these because otherwise if you run a Marshall at like noon or one it's thin and it's it you have no you have none of that kind of fullness it's gone yeah. like you have to turn them all the way up for them to really sound like they sound and EQ wise you know the EQ on those old Marshalls um, they don't really work. And so, you know, something I learned from uh, old timers was that in, the, in those days, a lot of time, I mean, people joke about like full scrape, you know, Billy Gibbons or whatever. Right. But no, it, it actually, when you turn like those controls with the exception of the uh, bass and the presence, which I'll talk about in a minute, when you turn the treble in the middle all the way up, you're effectively taking that out of the circuit which just makes the whole thing kind of become bigger and wider. And um, the bass control, if you're running through an old cabinet, you most of the time you turn it all the way off, which I know sounds kind of crazy, but um, in doing that, you push the mids forward because on old Marshalls, you know, they're kind of lacking in mid-range. They got a lot of low end, they got a lot of top. So if you dump the bass, all of a sudden you get this mid-range that comes through. And then the presence control is really the only control that really works well on those. Where if, you, you know, it's like if you put it at 12 o'clock, if you want it brighter, you turn it up. If you want it darker, you turn it down. And it's like, really, that's the only not. And these are all things that like old timers taught me. Yeah. And if, you, if you're running a proper old Marshall, meaning like non-baster volume, plexi type, through a good old cabinet, which is a huge part of the equation that's the settings that'll do it you know and then whatever your hands sound like what if you got some people got hands that are dark sounding some have ones that are some people's hands are real bright you know everybody's hands kind of sound different and so it's like and that's really true folks it's actually really true because <laughs> um, you know you can hand someone else your instrument and it's going to sound completely different you know and when you play like this, it's a lot more evident, you know, because it, because that's the only thing that's affecting the sound really is your actual touch and how you, you know, and it forces you, it forces you to play different because now all of a sudden you've got all this nuance, you know, like how hard you fret something, how soft you fret something, where you're picking, if you're picking up here in the middle, back by the bridge, um, how hard you're gripping. Um, all these things are going to affect in a major way the sound that's coming out because you've got nothing messing with it. Yeah. And so it makes you a much better, I think it made me a much better musician because then all of a sudden I was able to develop all these nuanced things that are still with me that um, I think that sometimes some of that stuff can get in the way of because you know, sometimes if you're if you're uh, if you're used to um, um, you know kind of a more pillowy feel underneath your left hand, um, you, you'll you're not because the thing is is that you know any instrument, whether new or old, 
you know, it's like, uh, I always talk about like how it's like a drum in that, you know, a great drummer, it's the way he hits it. You know, it's, it's not because if you hit something too hard, it's just going to choke. You're going to get a ton of attack, but there's not going to be any tone come out of it. Right. And if you hit really light, you're going to get a lot of ring, you know, and then it's like, you, but you have this like really very, you have this huge range there of dynamics that all emit a different kind of sound and guitar, piano, you know, any instrument really is like that. And guitar in particular, you know, all those things make a huge difference on what's going to come out of the amplifier or if you're playing acoustic, what's going to come out. And, um, you know, and I think that, you know, a lot of times people tend to rely on things that prop them up, you know, and, uh, and I think that, you know, I, what I always say about it is I think it's worth any player. I think it's kind of worth trying that approach because I think that it'll, it'll make your hands, it'll develop your hands better that then if you go back to effects after you do that, you can truly kind of use them in the way that they were intended to change the color in a more drastic way where it's like, you know, to me, it's like if you can master kind of subtleties, subtle differences, nuances with just your hands, you can rely on other things then to make the drastic ones that you can't necessarily do. And to me, it's like when I think of, you know, great musicians that use effects well, you know, like Daniel Lenoir or Mike Campbell or, uh, uh, or, uh, David Gilmore or, uh, you know, I mean, it, when I think of guys like that, it's like, that's using effects to, to truly kind of enhance what it is that they're looking to create sonically. Yeah. You know, they're not relying on them. They're using them, which I think is kind of in the end, the crux of technology, the curse of it at the moment, you know, because technology is meant to aid us, not for us to depend upon it, I think, you know, and I think that with guitar, I think that's an important thing because I think that it's, you know, it's, if you use, it's just like anything, if you use something for a creative, you know, in a creative way, then you're using it for what it's intended for. But like, you know, if you're using it as a crutch, you're kind of holding yourself back, I think. So inevitably at the end, that's kind of what I grew through in that whole process. Mm -hmm. It carried over into Simo with the Marshalls because I was, it was a natural progression, yeah. you know. And then you, with the Marshalls, but then recently, <laughs> yeah, you've kind of, uh, you've put away the Marshall and all of a sudden your old deluxe reverb from the Don Kelly days came back. Yeah. So how, how did that happen with the band? Well, on this last tour, um, a couple months ago, we just finished a really, really long tour and we did 83 shows over the course of five months and we were home like 10 days in that five month period. And we're leaving again to start this next leg tomorrow. And, and, uh, so you and anyone who's been on the road a lot, you reach a burnout point where you get, where there's a boredom that kind of creeps in yeah and um you got two choices kind of when you get to that point you either you either uh stop <laughs> and chill out yeah. or you or you push through it yeah. and you might actually find something on the other end of it that is worth 
looking into sometimes because sometimes again getting back to the notion of that you know creativity and art artistry and whatever like there's a level of discomfort that i think helps you know it yeah i mean that's you know this is one of those cases where it's like there's discomfort involved you're you're bored you're tired you want to go home you know whatever yeah and uh, and that happens you know so and so i was feeling very boxed in uh creatively um in my own mind and it took me a long time to yeah because of the the kind of gibson marshall yeah you know kind of sound that you kind of get kind of pigeonholed and there's kind of a, a certain school and, and players that have used that sound. Yeah, which is great. And I, and I love it, but there was, I was feeling a little boxed in by it. Uh, more so from my standpoint, getting on stage every night yeah, and wanting to try and emote, you know, where I felt like I was kind of getting in a rut. Um, and, um, and so, uh, I thought to myself, I said, well, you know, what would, what would it be like if I tried a, like a Fender amp or something with the group? Would that even work? Because I never even really tried it, you know, because yeah. like when the, when I left Don's band and Simon was actually, the, the group, our group was actually becoming like a real entity that was, it's like, okay, this is not a side project anymore. This is what we're doing. Um, you know, it was a very distinct, like, okay, I'm going to do this now. Whereas, you know, I never experimented with it. So I was curious about it. So we got back from Europe and, um, and, uh, I pulled it out and I brought it and, and like, I, um, I hadn't played this guitar. I hadn't played red, um, for a couple of tours, um, because of the burst, which we'll right. talk about in a minute, but, um, which is, you know, a dream freaking come true, but like, I hadn't played this in a minute and I've been thinking about you know my love of Michael Bloomfield who really I think if it comes down to it if you had if there had to be one for me really mm -hmm. he would be it really if, I, if there had to be one and I recognize that now more you know than I ever did because part of the reason why he was he not, and I know you'll relate to this because you're a huge fan of his too, and we've shared this love of him. But it's like the thing that, to me, evens the playing field out is that it's like he was such a great, nasty, emotive player. But it's like he played blues. He played acoustic music well. He, uh, and he played with Dylan, and he did any, any, you know, he did the, all that great stuff with Bob Dylan too. So it's mm -hmm. like it's, it's not just one thing that he did. Like it was, it's a pretty impressive body of work, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so like, you know, and, and everybody's got a million influences and, and I certainly do. And people like Dwayne Allman and uh, there are other people that are huge influences on me, but, but really it's like Mike, you know, there's a reason why he knocked me out all those years ago. Um, so I've been thinking about the telecaster and all that. So we got back and we had one day off before we started the next tour here in America. So I pulled the deluxe out. I got this. I pulled out my old RS telecaster um, that I hadn't played. Still had the strings on it from my last Don Kelly gig. Ooh. Yeah. Which is four years ago. Yeah. Five years ago. And um, 
And I actually got an old uh, showman cab from Tom Bukovac and, um, and didn't bring the marshals. And like, you know, because we'd been in Europe, all the equipment here was, um, wasn't loaded in a trailer or anything in cases. So when we met up to load up what we were taking on that run, you know, I was like, well, this is what I'm bringing. And, every, and the guys and like Dylan, our sound guy and stuff were like, what? And I was like, I'm trying something. And if I have the other stuff here, I might be tempted to not commit to it. Yeah. And um, so you went a whole hog in and went. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so I tried it. Yeah. And man, I felt so free immediately. Um, Why? I don't know, but I just felt so inspired because what I was hearing was something I wasn't used to hearing. Yeah. Like what was coming out of there was so different than what I was used to. It spawned me to play differently. It spawned me to think differently. Yeah. It spawned me to explore more than I had in a really long time. And yeah. so it just... So, yeah, so I committed wholeheartedly because I got off the stage that night. It was in, the first show was in Louisville. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, and I was just, I was so inspired by it. And I, I have to admit, like, you know, like there's also, you know, I think everything kind of goes in cycles. I mean, life is just, life is nothing but cycles. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's us deciding, I think, how much we want to learn or garner from each cycle of our life, you know, so for me, it was very much kind of going, well, it's a full circle moment for me because, you know, like when I got this guitar, it changed my life. And it's like, and this amplifier changed my life back then. And this was my friend that I relied on every night and every day for years, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't know a piece of gear as well as I know this amplifier. Like I know this amp and, um, and then bringing it into this context that now I've grown very comfortable with um, and grown, you know, with my bandmates, you know, it's, 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 it's been a very, very healthy transition. And it also, it ha it's come at a very poignant time yeah. in our, in our band's history, I will yeah. say. Cause you're about to make another record. We are, we're about, we're just starting the process of um, this record is going to be very different from anything we've ever done because we're essentially going to make it over a very long period of time. And, you know, we're very dead set on making a crafted record this time, which is something that I'm finally ready to do because we've made records. Now we've made two records, but really the first one we just made just to get going. Like this record that is out now is like the first record that actually like charted and that, you know, most people are becoming aware of us or becoming aware of us because of it. Mm -hmm. And you know it's it's a it's a performance. It's 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 an unadulterated, unedited, unmessed with performance, which I think is a great way to kind of like start. This, if you know people's exposure to us as a group, because it's, we're not hiding behind anything. Right. There's nothing to hide behind. Exactly. Which was by design a little bit. So now it's, you know, we're, you know, you can't just like what we're talking about with the Don Kelly gigs and all those sessions, you know, you can't, the learning process never stops and the refining process never stops unless you 
stop it or stop wanting to grow. And so for us as a group, you know, we've really, um, you know, the, the elements of, uh, who and what we've been are definitely, they're still there, but they're much, much more, more refined now because we've played so many gigs, you know, it's just, you know, it, you know, you, you, when you road dog it that hard, you'd start trimming away the fat, you yeah. know? And so all that, all the things that maybe were kind of holding us in a more derivative place have continued to kind of shed. And like now the, the focus is much more on writing and much more on, uh, you know, trying, trying to do something, trying to push ourselves to do something that's ahead of it, you know, yeah. which is how it should be, I think. So who's producing this? When I don't want to say on camera yet because okay. we haven't started, but, okay. um, okay. but it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an old friend. Uh, it's an old friend of mine who plays a significant part in my story. Okay. And, um, that's fair enough. Yeah, because you know, I just um, yeah, but it's uh, it's 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 uh, we are you know really it's there. I think the big thing to say is we are using a producer this time, okay. because I produced the last record, and man, I don't have it in me right now to do that because I didn't realize how hard it really is to do until I did it myself. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard. It's hard to do both. It's hard to do both. I think that I'll def definitely want another crack at it at another point, and I can definitely see where it would be much easier to produce someone else, um, because I like making records and I like making music, mm -hmm. and I enjoy the process a lot, and have had a lot of experience making records and stuff. But um, but yeah, this time around, there's just some all the things that I want improved, and want to be pushed, are things that are are, are things I can't do, yeah. and so. The realization from all three of us in the band, you know, has been, you know, that's the biggest change this time around. And we're going to work in a real recording studio this time, which I'd been hesitant to and and and, uh, and neglected in the past because I didn't because I wanted to do something else for a minute. Yeah. But I think that that's kind of the lasting lesson is that you, you know, life is you get to a certain point and you want to try something different. You want to grow and you can either keep doing the same thing. Or you have these moments where you go, okay, I'm going to push through and yeah. get to the other side. Just to back up on the amp, you know, just to revisit yeah. it one more time. Uh, the amp's got a vintage 30 in it. Yeah, which is the only speaker yeah. I've ever played through. Well, that's mm -hmm. not true. Because in the very, very beginning of the Don, like you said, in the very, very beginning, like the first two months of, the band, of me subbing in the band, I had some boutique amplifiers. Yeah. And, uh, and then... I got my first deluxe reverb. I actually bought it in Austin, Texas, because I went down there to go see Red Volcar play. Yeah. Right when I, I think it was when I got the when I got the gig officially, is when uh, my my now wife and I went to Austin uh, for a little vacation because I wanted to see Red play. Yeah. Because I was trying to learn. Yeah. And um, and I went to Austin Vintage Guitar in the original location, which is. Now, now a condo place in Austin, um, uh, and I bought a Silverface one that had this speaker in it. Yeah, and then played that for a minute. It was okay. It wasn't great. And then I I got my first Blackface Deluxe that I played for a little while, and I put that speaker in there, mm -hmm. the speaker in there, and then eventually, I think probably around the one year mark is when. Um, 
I, I, I found this particular deluxe, which is a very, very special sounding one. And uh, I put that speaker in here and it's been in there ever since. And yeah. it's, you know, it's something that you can't, you know, the amount of air that's been pumped through that thing is just, you know, it's, it's, it makes a sound that's fairly, I think, unique. Absolutely. So um, now with Simo going from the 100 watt Marshall mm. to the 22 watt Deluxe. <laughs> yeah. So how, you know, that's going to make a huge difference in your, in your stage volume yeah. and, and how you play together. So how is that, how has that changed uh, uh, the way you play? It hasn't really changed the way we play. Okay. Because we still play the same, essentially, the way that we react to one another. Okay. Um, I think that, um, I mean, obviously the stage volumes come way down. But the thing is, is that it came down in increments because it started with the 100 watt. And then it went, then I went to 50 waters for a minute. And then, and then I went to 100, eventually settled on 100 with two tubes pulled, which is like a little more than 50 watts. Mm-hmm. But definitely spongier and, and 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 a very different experience than all four tubes. Right. And one cab or two cabs makes a huge difference too. But it's like we went, so it was like incrementally going down, and then I got into these old trainer amplifiers from the seventies. Yeah. And on the beginning of this tour, there were certain nights where just because it was starting to kind of happen, the desire to do something different, but I didn't like it really when I was in Europe is when it really kind of like, this is what I'm going to do. So, but for some of those gigs, I use the, the trainer, which is just this little 20 watt 112 combo as well, yeah. which are funky and I love them. Um, and I actually used it on our record that is out now, but, um, yeah, no, the, but now with this, it's really, yeah, I mean, the, the, the stage volumes really come down. A lot plays an old tuck and roll custom amp, um, which is like not even 100 watts, you know, but it's real farty and, you know, and he plays an old uh, 66P bass with flat wounds on it and like has a real unique sound. And Adam has his old Ludwigs that are tuned really open and really jazz sounding and his cymbals are a mixture of old and new that are really dry and not don't have a ton of time. So really, I think what's really happened is now there's everybody's sitting in their frequency range more because with the Marshall, I had so much low end going on that like I don't really like the volume has come down, but the sonic. The, the frequency range thing is the thing that's changed the most because it's like now that all that low mid and low end of from me is gone and I'm sitting up here where I'm supposed to be. It's like all of a sudden, like the drums were able to get a little bigger. The bass was able to get bigger. Like the whole sound was able to kind of meld more. Yeah. And, um, and so that's kind of the biggest difference I would say is that it's just now frequency range wise you know, it's, it's, um, everything's sitting where it should be. And I also should note that there's, I've, I've been using lately in addition to this deluxe reverb, um, I've, I've, I scored an old, uh, Epiphone Futura amp, which is the amplifier that, um, Michael Bloomfield used at Newport, um, with Dylan. And he also used it with the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. 
And uh, I found a, an original one of those. And those are rare amps to find. And if you find one, don't buy it because I'm going to buy it. Um, <laughs> because they rarely come up for sale, the, the right ones. There's two different versions of it, but there's the one, the earlier one with the 7591s in it. That's the one Michael used. And it looks like an old hi-fi system. It's big. It's a big amplifier. Yeah. But it's not that loud, and it sounds horrible in a great way. And there's no pedal in the world that could sound like that amplifier because it's got four eight-inch speakers in it. And it's got this... It's basically like a... If anybody knows what a Gibson Falcon amp is, it's basically like a little bit of a blown-up Falcon. Yeah. And so anyway, I got that recently, and I've been using that in conjunction with the Deluxe at the same time. But then, like, at the front of house, you know, Dylan, um, our sound guy for things that are kind of heavier or riffier, he'll favor the Epiphone because the Epiphone almost, it's got so much compression that it sounds like the amp's just caving in on itself. Yeah. And again, it's it almost sounds like a fuzz or something, but like there's no pedal that could really kind of mimic this. So it's like, but those together make a very interesting, unique kind of sound. And so I'm really into that at the moment. And I think I'm probably going to continue to explore that because I really... There's there's um, there's all these weird old amplifiers from the 50s and 60s that nobody seems to kind of want these days. And they seem to all be, you know, I run into them out there and on the road and stuff, and they seem to all be like three, four, five hundred dollars $500. And I'm a tweaker to the nth degree, and a lot, the bassist in the group, is even more so. Like, I mean, a lot could, could make you a boutique amp if you wanted him to. Like, he's, he's insane. So, like, yeah. you know stress relief for us is oh man look at this cool thing and then take it back to the hotel room and make it work yeah. that's like something we do and so cap job and, and yeah no yeah. seriously like in a hotel room so yeah so <laughs> i'm really into that so the the epiphone is definitely something i'm really really digging i'd always wanted one because it's you yeah. know you know and it's unique sounding yeah. so anyway so uh moving on to guitars yeah. so so tell us about this 62-335. Now, you've you've had this, you know, for a number of years, and Gibson has even started, they're, yeah. they're going to make a, uh, a limited run uh, copy of that guitar. Well, yeah, no, there's two <clears throat> different things. There's um, the limited custom shop model came out earlier this year and okay. sold out, like, immediately. Like, I, like, had to fight to get mine, like, because we were just going to make a couple of dozen of them. Right. But they sold really quick, oh, and wow. and so, I mean, you know, I don't. I think really it's just because they made, you know, the one that I have, is amazing. Like it's great. Like I used it most of this last tour actually, um, because it's it's so great. So I mean, I don't think my, I had anything to do with it. They were just great guitars, you know. Yeah. But what we're doing now, is uh, the Memphis division is going to come out with a production model that isn't aged okay that um you know is going to be in a you know relatively normal kind of price point i think and you know i just um um went back to them with my little bit of revisions on the prototype they made of that and that'll probably come, i don't know you know maybe later this year maybe early next year i don't know but we're doing that which will be you know a lot lot more instruments than the initial run but yeah. this guitar you know, it's the guitar that changed my life and that, you know, I'd never really had that much exposure to vintage instruments. Mm -hmm. And um, a friend of mine had owned this for like, 
30 years, you know, and it had a Bigsby on it, had a pickguard on it. I've since taken the pickguard off because I actually have found that I like playing like this with my hand like this and the pickguard gets in my way kind of. Mm-hmm. So the pickguard's been off for a little while now, but had a pickguard, had the Bigsby and I played it for the first time in that state and it was a great guitar, but then he took the Bigsby off and, and he put this stop tail on there and it just became an amazing guitar. And I sold everything I had of worth, like all of my session guitars, all the extra amplifiers that I'd amassed. Uh, gosh, man, I mean, I was eBaying old, uh, old guitar magazines and stuff, you know, to to get all the money together to get there. Cause I spent more money on this than I've ever spent on anything. Yeah. I mean, my car wasn't even worth as much as that. So, but it was the greatest thing I ever did because this thing is, it changed my life and then kind of opened myself up into this vintage world of all these, these mystical guys that live in this country that love this stuff. And they're some of the most gracious, kind guys I've ever met that just are crazy about old gear. And so, you know, bit by bit, you know, I've played some amazing stuff. I mean, really, there isn't anything I can think of I haven't had a chance to play many, many of at this point. And that's something that, you know, it just happened because of friendships and relationships, you know. But this guitar is what started all that. And to this day, I think that, you know, um, much like, that amplifier is like the amplifier I know. It's like, even when I haven't played this for a few months or something, um, and I come back to it, it's like the initial connection I made with it years ago, it's still that, where it's like I know exactly what parts of the neck are going to do certain things, and I know this instrument really well. And I'm really grateful, you know, because connection with a single instrument is, is rare these days because there's so much you know but it's like if you can feel comfortable and it's like at the end of the day i mean as we'll see i mean i'm beyond spoiled it's amazing the stuff i get to play but you know this thing is really all i'd ever need you know and i'm grateful so yeah good old red good old red well let's uh let's hear you play a little bit of it sounds good Thank you. 
This has been an audio presentation by TrueTone, TrueTone.com.